My guest today is a serial entrepreneur who started his journey washing windows. Now he runs a chatbot and messenger marketing agency that helps brands and businesses create more meaningful conversations with their customers. His agency has helped small and multinational businesses increase sales using strategic conversational commerce campaigns that educate, build trust, and create deeper relationships with customers. I'm having coffee with Andrew Bielak, founder of Royalwood Media, as we chat about the power of messenger marketing, the one book that changed his life, and why the window seat is so important to him when he travels. You're listening to The Andrew Quelo Show, the world's only podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs in fashion. Andrew Billard, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm pumped too. I'm, you know, I'm excited to hear what's going on in your world. I uh, can't thank you enough for being on the pod. And um, you own your, you have your own pod. Is this your first time as a guest? Uh, third time as a guest. And what's like, I'm just curious, what's like, do you prefer being your own host or like, do you like being on, on pods? Like what's, what's the feedback? I love both. They're both very different. Like being the interviewer, it's fun to lead the conversation and draw things out of the uh, out of your guests. But as the being interviewed, it's interesting because you just don't know where the where the conversation is going to go. Similarly, it's kind of like entrepreneurship in that sometimes you don't really know where it's going to go either. Your journey is interesting. I think your first your first kind of entrepreneurial venture, you were washing windows. Yeah, you make me sound like a homeless person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everyone's got their hustle. Uh, so, you know, you're washing windows. Now you run a messenger marketing agency. Um, you started a podcast. Like, take take us through that journey. Take me through that journey. Like, how do you make that transition? Uh, let, let's just hear kind of how what lit the fire and kind of how you you've progressed. You want me to start from the beginning? Yeah, let's start right at the beginning. Okay, so I was born October 30th, 19... <laughs> um, Time? <laughs> 57, I think. Oh, shit, I don't even know that. It was interesting. I just, like, found that out, like, last week. So, like, Ange asked me. She was doing... That's my wife. But uh, anyways, I digress. Let's get back on topic. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, I started... Yeah, I, I started a window cleaning company when I was 18 years old. This was, like, uh, my second year in university needed a summer job. I didn't want to like work inside. I wanted to be outside, uh, enjoy the summer. And uh, a friend of mine was working for a company. He's like, come, like, you know, it pays like 12 bucks now. I'm like sick, more money than I've ever made. My entire life at 18, you think you're living large. Um, it was the second day on the job. I was in charge of going to get the check from the lady after we finished the job. And I saw it was like 350 bucks. And we were there for like an hour and a half. And I was like, dude, I, I can do this on my own. I went, the, like a week later, I learned the lay of the land, quit, bought a ladder, bought some squeegees, soap, water, started knocking on doors. And that took me through university and I loved it. I loved making my own money. I loved the freedom. Um, it was just like super interesting. I was like, this is easy, right? I'm like, you know, my family's like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. I was like, yeah, I guess I am. And I was like, this is no, what are people talking about? Business is hard. This is everything. You know, I was, I was making what seemed like easy money. Uh, anyways, uh, does, fast forward. Does yeah. it still seem like easy money? No, 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 it's not like at all. Way different. It's completely different. You know, you learn things that you would never think of when you're 18 years old, like taxes and uh, just all the little nuances and like just building a business. I was a solopreneur when I was 18. Yeah. I had like a couple buddies help me out, but 
for the most part, I was a, I was a one-man crew. I feel like a lot of people start that way. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, but the key is like getting out of the mindset of the solopreneur mm-hmm. because there I was doing everything, right? I was the boss. I was, you know, I made my own lunch hours. I, you know, did the, like collected the money. I did the work. I did the quotes. I canvassed the neighborhood, did everything. I was like, this is business. This is easy. You know, I, I, I like that control. So it seemed easy, like, and at the time, but now you're kind of in a different space. Um, did you jump there because at some point you thought maybe it would be easier or was it some sort of passion driven decision? Like, you know, you're, you're having some success, you're washing windows. How do you get to the next step in your, in your journey? How do you go from that solopreneur mindset to kind of starting an agency? Yeah, the biggest thing was I didn't trust my gut, meaning fast forward from 18 to 28, I was working in sales jobs. Can we, can we give the listeners some context and identify your age? Yeah, so I'm turning 30 in a couple weeks. Okay. So yeah, 18 to 28. Um, 10 years. 10 years. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't listen to my gut. Like window cleaning was seasonal. So like, you know, I wasn't a snowbird living off of all my money in, in the wintertime. Um, you know, you're spending it as you're going along. I didn't have the wherewithal to be like, save, invest. I was 18. I was like, let's, let's have fun. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I, you know, took sales jobs. I was like, you know, I, you, I listened to those around me because those around me being family, um, you know, people that you trust, you look up to because you look for guidance in your life. And, you know, they, they support what I did, but they're like, yeah, you know, either take this to the next level or I didn't know what the next level was because winter showed up and I was like, oh, you know, in the, in the summertime, I'll do that. So I, I took, in the beginning, I took some jobs, sales jobs, and then I, I quit. And I was reverted back to window cleaning for, it was probably like five years. Um, did it for all of university. And then like, there was like a couple of years after where I, I just kind of came back to it as my, as my fallback. And then, um, you know, I, I, I took an office job. I hated it. I knew I was gonna hate it, but I did it anyways because I needed money. Um, and then I, uh, took a job working for a wine distributor. It was a cool job. I got to go to different places in the world, but for the most part, like it, it, it just didn't drive me. I, I wasn't excited about it. And then no purpose. Yeah, no, not, no purpose, no like sense of it, like excitement. It didn't light me up. And so come 28, I was like, you know what? I'm going to quit. You know, there's this big social media craze, social media marketing. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and do this. I can, I can figure it out. You know, I'm, I'm good with social media. And so the play was, is, you know, you're watching all these like influencers, like create these accounts and make money off of it. So I decided to create like a foodie account. The foodie account was based on creating this and going to restaurants and pitching them on the fact that I own this account. I'll get them some exposure. Let me come in and take some photos of the food that you have on your menu. They're like, sure, no problem. I'm like free of charge. No free meals involved in this process? <laughs> free lattes <laughs> and like desserts and stuff. But if I kept going down that path, I would have been 350 pounds today. But I would go in and I would take photos and while I'm there, I'd pitch them on digital marketing. I'm like, I can do your Instagram for you. I can do, and that's how I started to get some clients. But that didn't last, right? It lasted about six months where I was standing over this like matcha latte snapping photos and I like I had a like a revelation I was like what am I doing I'm standing here and I'm going from like cafe to restaurant taking pictures of food pitching them on like it was funny because I was like yeah yeah I, I enjoyed building what I thought was like a business but once again I came back to this moment where I was like 
this is not what I want to do. I don't want to take photos. I don't want to. And so it's like, I, I didn't know what, what I was going to do. And so I decided to, to go to a conference, but I didn't actually go to the conference. Uh, what I had to do is I, I wanted to win a free ticket to Grant Cardone's conference. I love Grant Cardone. This 10X. Was, 10X. <laughs> 10X, baby. And um, I, I wanted to win a free ticket. And what happened was, is I had to put out a video on Facebook of why I should get a ticket. Anyways, I put out this video and a friend, like a friend from elementary school, like reached out to me. And he's like, saw your video, dude. Like, let's go for a coffee. Like, it's been a long time. Let's catch up. Long story short, you know, he's in the tech, tech world. He's in the, the SaaS space, software as a service. And he's getting involved in stuff called um, chatbots, chat marketing. And I was like, sounds interesting, sounds cool. We kind of stayed in touch over a couple months and, and, got the, and got the wheel spinning. And the next thing you know, we're business partners on this new frontier of chat marketing. And we're pitching like large corporations. We're pitching small businesses, medium-sized businesses. And that's been the last two years of my life. So... Chat marketing, messenger marketing, obviously these are terms now we hear uh, you know, pretty frequently in, in digital commerce and e-commerce. Like, what is it? Like, for, for people listening right now that are maybe looking to launch an online store or you know, enhance their, their communication with their customers or potential customers, like, let's wrap our heads around exactly you know, what this process is. How does it work? And, uh, you know, maybe afterwards we can touch on some of the benefits, but like, how, how does, you know, how does messenger marketing work? Yeah, so that's a great question. So chat marketing, the best way to describe it is, I'd say it's, it's the new age of digital storytelling, not just digital storytelling, but um, it's the future, actually, it's the now of how businesses interact with their customers online. Okay. So in the traditional sense of the word, if someone came to your business, your digital storefront, and they tried to, you know, for Monty & Co., let's say that they wanted to find out um, pricing, or they wanted to find out sizing, or they wanted to just learn about your story. If you are not there as, a, as a, the, the brand, the, the face behind the business, or your employees aren't there to educate I mean, no offense, but in today's day and age for websites, my website, anyone's website, you know, people come and they spend two seconds there. They spend two seconds there and they, they expect to find out as much information as possible to allow them to make a purchase, make a decision, anything along those lines. And so in today's day and age, typically, you know, entrepreneurs, they, there's no like set hours, but you do have downtime. And if someone reaches out to you and you're on vacation with your family, you're doing whatever and you don't have that your phone with you, you're not responding to people, they leave. There's, there's no, brand loyalty is hard these days. Mm -hmm. um, people come in and they, they want answers now. And so with chat marketing, what it does is it allows you to create an automated um, ecosystem that people can come in and they can ask a specific question or they can inquire about a particular area in your business and a chatbot will be able to respond to them and give answers instantaneously, 24 seven, 365. And a lot of people are like, this is so impersonal. Like, you know, it's, it's based on building those relationships. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I totally agree. I was just about to say, like, I'm super old school and I still really enjoy that, like, human interaction. I like going to, like, trade shows and um, meeting customers firsthand and, and getting that, like, instant feedback, seeing the look on their face when, like, they touch a product or smell a product or whatever. So it's interesting that you said that because I'm sure there definitely is some hesitation with um, that aspect of 
chat, chat. Can we clarify the terminology here? Chat marketing. Chat marketing. Okay. Chat marketing. So, is there a way to navigate that? Yeah, I would say you have to commit to it because the reason is it's, it's top of funnel. It's top of funnel that no matter where someone is in the world, if you don't have something in place to educate them, to provide value, to sell to them, wherever they are in their customer journey through an automated interface, you will lose out on building relationships one-on-one later. Like if someone comes into the Monty & Co ecosystem and they, like I said, pricing, whatever that is, you need to have that in their face instantaneously because if they don't, they will leave. And then after they get that information, they're like, wow, this is awesome. And they come back and whether they purchase or explore, then you have the opportunity to build that deeper relationship, to have that one-on-one, to meet you, to meet your, the rest of the team, to learn about you guys, to stumble upon the podcast, to stumble upon uh, your blog post, whatever that may be. You, know, there is, you never know where someone is going to interact with your brand. It's better to have something in place, this net, this chat marketing net that will capture them, educate them, provide value, and pot- potentially sell to them best case scenario without you ever having to speak with them but at the at the bare minimum it's top of level awareness and they get the information that they want and then you can build that relationship down the line so what kind of content like are, are we talking in these in, in in this top of funnel kind of I guess communication sequence like is it are, are these images it's just information is it straight information about a product is it about is it the story like what kind of you know what would someone who's you know pretty green with with this type of marketing you know what would their initial kind of approach be in terms of creating content for for a a chat messenger there is no wrong type of form of content to put out there i think the theme there's a theme that you should stay on point with and that's education because if you look around today, everything's moving so fast. There's so many buzzwords out there. Bitcoin and uh, chat marketing, sure, it could be used as a buzzword. There's so many different things that are happening. Cannabis, this and that. And, and people, people in the fast-moving society that we live in, they need to understand what is out there. And you need education. Education is the most important. People want to know what the story is behind Monty & Co. They don't just necessarily want to know pricing, but at the same time, you have this, you have the ability to tell a beautiful story about the brand. So whether that content, uh, you know, they come in and, and you want to educate them through um, an opening video, whether that's um, like a staple uh, blog post that you have, whether that's a really funny GIF that all of a sudden went viral and it's the best way to introduce people into your brand's ecosystem. You can't go wrong with education. So let's let's talk about Monty and Co. Right. So um, I'm a new I'm a new I stumbled upon Monty and Co. Online. I'm searching for luxury weekender bags, handmade in Canada. Monty and Co. Pops up. You can visit my website. What happens? The pop up comes up. You know how, how do you engage? How does a chatbot engage? Yeah, that's a really good question. So there's various touch points that you can use. It could be on your website. It could be uh, in a social media post, like the link in your bio. It could be a link in a long-form blog post. It could be a, a link in a short-form Facebook post. Um, the chatbot can exist as a URL, but it can also exist 
as a scan code. So if you're doing a trade show and you want people to opt in the minute that they scan that, they go into your ecosystem. So it's a great way instead of handing out business cards and you're hoping to connect or you know someone has to you're hoping someone adds you on Facebook right then and there. It's just a great way. I mean, we just did a, a trade show where you know people are coming through. There's tons of people coming through and um, we're we've built this this SaaS product, this software as a, as a service for this um, multi-level marketing company and we decided to show up to their their staple event of the year. And there's just people, there's always people walking by. You're trying to talk, there's only so many people you can talk to at once. So the tactic is scan this code and you know we, we gave them like a, a value surprise in the beginning. Once you scan it, you, get, you have the chance to, to opt in to win um, the service for a year. So right away, people are excited about it, but as soon as they go in, um, their focus is, I wanna win this, I'm gonna scan this, and this is all that I'm gonna get. But once you get in there, all of a sudden you're just like, wow, I can navigate the ecosystem and I can learn about the brand. I can learn about the services. I can learn about the price. So coming back to your question, yeah, someone could come into like a, a, an, a button on your website or a, a widget. And the minute someone clicks on that link, clicks on the widget, scans the code, they're now in your ecosystem. So they can, they can navigate all the different elements that your brand has online. But at the same time, you can pick up that conversation live. So this live conversation happens. Is there a continued communication that happens through this this type of mess, you know, messaging, or you know, do you kind of use that as a way to get people into your, I guess, into your circle um, under your brand umbrella, make them aware of it, and then you know, it's your job as a brand owner to communicate communicate with them and. In different ways whether it be through email or social media or whatever yeah it works both ways so if they come in um, you know they control the conversation it's not like this annoying spammy kind of system that it just hits them over and over again it's like if they stop it, it it's very black and white for what they can do it's they come in it asks them a question they, they click on a button and it sends them down a, a new conversation tree there's more questions it sends them down do you want to you know take a look at a product do you want to hear a brand story yes no maybe whatever you click it and it, and it sends them. And they can leave whenever they want to and they can come back and pick up that conversation whenever they'd like to. But you as the business owner can see everything that they're doing within this conversation. And if someone, you know, you could see that they've clicked a, a bunch of the buttons that would maybe indicate that they're heading towards a purchase or if they're heading towards something that would require more questions, you can jump in live. You'll get notified and you can just literally come into the conversation live and say, hey, I'm Andrew, one of the co-founders of Montego. Do you need additional help? Or maybe incentivize them, try to get them closer to a purchase. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And while they're going through it, you've, you you are the Wizard of Oz, man. You're 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 behind the scenes, and you can see everything that's going on. So on a, you know, on based on what you see in the market, like how many brands are versus how many brands are not are, you know, using this this tool as a as a way to market. Um, I don't think it's hit its peak yet. Uh, the last two years have been a real rise in chat marketing. Um, the big telltale signs are the fact that over the last couple of years, um, messaging apps have surpassed social media apps in terms of monthly active users. Messenger is 1.4 billion monthly active users. WeChat, I mean, we don't have access to it. It's got billions of users, WhatsApp billions, Instagram billions. And the fact that Facebook has already expressed that they're going to tie together Messenger, WhatsApp, and Instagram to be able to cross-communicate across those platforms. It just shows that messaging uh, has taken precedent to kind of social media and, and that's the form of customer service that people expect to have. When they message a brand, they expect the brand to get back to them now. Not, not 24 hours, not 10 minutes, 
but now. And that's where the power of chat comes in. It's automated. It's instantly engaging. It in instantly interacts. It's always on. It's always on. So, in your opinion, is this is is this a vital tool for any you know newbie to to e-commerce to anyone looking to start a, a brand essential tool? In your opinion, I don't want this to be like a, a biased opinion because I'm very in the space. But the fact is, is I hear this line consistently. Whether it's people that we work with directly or indirectly, they say, "Yeah, I love the idea of the chat marketing tool, but." I need to get my website up first. I need to perfect this landing page. I need to make sure I get to X amount of Instagram followers first. That's great, but at the same time, what you don't understand is the fact that your chat bot can exist across, like I said, your website, across your social media. You can even put it as a link in an email drip campaign that you're doing to, to your leads, to your, your new people that come into your ecosystem. So. If you're focusing on just getting your Instagram going, focusing on just getting your website going, you're missing out on the fact that if you get your chatbot first and then you start adding these additional elements to your marketing plan, your chatbot can tie into all of them and it's the only one that's gonna automate the conversation with people that engage with it. It's interesting how, um, I mean, I'm still an old school guy, I like to think. I mean, I'm 32, um, but I grew up in a time just like you probably did that there was still very much that like face-to-face -face engagement with people, and um, it's interesting to see you know these new technologies and these new ways of communicating with with, with customers and potential customers unfold. Um, yeah, it's it's just crazy to me. It's moving fast, man. Everything's fast. moving quick, 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 yeah. quick. And if you blink, you might miss it. And don't sleep on voice. Don't sleep on all these things. All these things will be combined together, and we're gonna be. It's, it's gonna be crazy. It, there's no telling what's gonna happen five years from now, six months from now, a, a month from now. It, it's just, there's so much happening and it's just the opportunity out there to build a brand, build a business, be a service provider. In my opinion, there's never been a greater time to do any of those three than in the world we live in now because of how easily accessible and connected every single person is. There is a lot of opportunity. Um, it's never been easier to to launch a business. It's also never been more competitive. But I do think from a globalization perspective, your reach is so much greater um, and your opportunity is so much greater because of kind of interconnectedness of the whole world. I would make an argument that, you know, sometimes it's more than a product or a skill set, but more so a mindset or specific habits that kind of let someone excel in, in today's you know kind of entrepreneurial landscape and uh, what I've learned in, in my experience is that everything takes longer than you probably plan you know sales don't come as fast as you want them to You're not hitting those the numbers that you thought you would be and there's obviously a lot of patience that's involved in becoming a successful entrepreneur nowadays let's talk about like about your mindset what's your opinion on you know how to be a successful entrepreneur nowadays is there is there something you know is there do you have a mantra is there something that you kind of revert back to on a daily basis or on a weekly basis or you know anything that any any sort of wisdom you can impose on on, on the listeners to um kind of practice on their own yeah i mean that's a great question i i think for me it's 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 evolved in terms of what i what my goals are what what feeds me i mean 
in the early days, it was it's always chasing money. Um, money is, is still a big motivator because money gives me a lot of options um, in the world that we live in. Um, freedom is a big one. I very freedom. much, yeah, I, I, I love the fact that, uh, you, you know, you're building towards something that will give you the freedom to, to live life on your terms. Um, and that's huge for me because I want to build something that is impactful. Um, I'm not going to lie and say, oh, from the beginning of the businesses that I created, it was to have a massive impact. But it's been really interesting to see the progression of moving from working with big clients, which you're really in the trenches, to moving into the space that I'm in now where my service can impact a lot of people. And I actually got to meet a lot of my uh, customers um, at the trade show. And it was really interesting to see. It's one thing for your customers to reach out or write in the in the private community. Oh, I love this product. You guys are doing a great job. It's another thing for them to tell you a story of how like it's allowed them to free up time in their life. It's allowed them to make more money. And that's been really fun to see. It's been really interesting. Um, but at the same time, I want to create these businesses that do create a lot of impact. But I want to maximize what I'm doing now and take that money and take what I've learned and apply it to different things. I'm not, I'm not always searching for the next thing, but I'm looking to build long-term generational wealth because I want to be able to do what I want in this life, in this short life that we have. And by taking a, a look at what, how I can use the business to help other people, but at the same time, how I can use it to help me live my life on my exact terms that's that's the perfect balancing act for me i think it's it's about finding purpose in kind of what you're doing and in our business it's the fact that we're made locally in toronto and, and contributing to our communities um here that kind of keeps me going and and the, you know we take eco-conscious approach to to our design and our manufacturing and i i find that when you put those driving forces behind, you know, what you do when you wake up every day, it, it kind of gets you in that mindset that it's not just about money, it's not just about your own success, it's about creating something impactful to impact, for lack of a better word, the, yeah. li the lives of other people in, in our whole supply chain and, and you know, and, and our consumers and stuff, so. How are you finding that in your business today? I mean, in the context of being, eco-friendly, especially in the light of how climate change has taken a really big front seat in the lives, in, in our lives today. But the fact that the millennial generation, I'm, I'm a millennial, you're still a millennial. Um, I feel that as millennials as a whole, we focus a lot more on being more eco-friendly. Have you noticed that as a, like, uh, as a contributing factor to increasing your sales as, as like you know you tell me a little bit more about how that plays into what you're doing and how the fact that climate change and eco-friendliness is more at the forefront of of the millennial mindset i'm going to answer your question but i want to point out that you're not interviewing and this is not your podcast <laughs> Man, um, people want to know <laughs> let the people know i'm kidding um yeah definitely like i definitely think people pay i mean the numbers are there people pay more attention to the types of products they're consuming, whether it's where they're made, what they're made from. Um, and, and I think that millennial mindset definitely contributes to our success and our growing success. We sell a luxury product and I think sometimes it takes longer for a consumer to discover a new, younger, emerging brand and make that investment, but it makes the conversation easier. 
that when you know we're, we're giving ourselves an opportunity to speak to people that maybe wouldn't have, even have even have been interested in our product to begin with but the fact that you know we use vegetable tan leather um, that we you know that wool is at the forefront of all of our designs and it's a sustainable cruelty free uh, raw material supporting local community communities and family businesses these are things that I care about mm -hmm. not just as a business owner but as a consumer and this is stuff that I look for these are these are traits and brands that I look for when I'm shopping for myself whether it's a pair of shoes or a pair of jeans I always look at the labels I always see where it's coming from so yeah like to answer your question I think there's a huge shift in uh, the consciousness of, of consumption and you see it like last week forever 21 shutting down in stores in Canada people are paying attention I think last time I checked in the consumer consumer report it's like 54% of people are like actually consciously thinking about where or what their products are made from yeah. and we when we started the brand you know 10 years ago or whatever it is 2012 what year seven years ago um, that wasn't you know it wasn't a marketing idea it wasn't like oh let's do this because it's gonna be easy marketing even back then no one even gave a shit about where, where they were buying their products people are you know people still shop at H&M but like that wasn't a thing we just wanted to do that we yeah. wanted to be different we wanted to be the purple cow of luggage and accessories and the way we knew how to do that was to be locally made and use like really really crazy and awesome and you know eco-conscious raw materials that no one else could use because they were more worried about making margin than making great products for the end user there's an interesting theme there. You just mentioned that back in 2012, you had completely different goals and ambitions for where the company was going, and then you've had to adapt over the years. And I think that's a big thing that a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of businesses, a lot of brands, have they have to do. You have to adapt. It, but especially in the world, the, the transparent world that we live in today, like one wrong move by a major company will be plastered all over social media in 30 minutes, and your reputation will be sunk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, look at, you know, it's October 9th. Look at what happened two days ago with this whole tweet about the from the Houston Rockets GM in China. Like everything just happens so fast now. There's a massive ripple effect. There's a massive, massive ripple effect. So, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of brands and and businesses that are exposed over time. Uh, consumers are becoming smarter. You know, investors, consumers, everyone's becoming smarter. Information's way more attainable, and we'll let the market decide who buys what, I guess, yeah. at the end of the day. So so speaking of like shifting and, and rapidly shifting, I think you know what a lot of young and rookie entrepreneurs don't really understand is having the ability to pivot or, or, or change and adapt to, to that change in the market, whatever that may be, whether it's using a, a new form of marketing or whether that's adapting to a regulation that has to do with manufacturing, whatever the case may be. Like how important is it to be able to make that pivot and has there ever been an opportunity or an event in your journey so far where you know that pivots had to happen and it's been uncomfortable and like how did you kind of navigate that yeah definitely i find more often than not i'm pivoting a lot more frequently not because i just don't believe in what we're doing it's because there's new opportunities that arise so quickly like two years ago i was taking photos of lattes or almost three years ago, I was doing that, and then I, I'd like uh, to see some of these photos. Yeah, yeah, you're not gonna. There are you <laughs> kidding me? The they're bank. in the middle of Times Square. I'm such a good photographer. Oh yeah. Three years ago, social media marketing. I was doing that. I thought that that was gonna be it. I didn't know what to do, and I just 
became vulnerable, put myself out there, put out a video to hopefully go to a conference. I met, I, I met an old friend who was doing something interesting and then I decided in that moment that I was going to change direction. We focused on big companies, we focused on specific industries and just building the best, coolest solution. That is not a scalable model. At the time, I'm like, this is the right move. But as you talk to the market, as you talk to people who have built businesses that you want to emulate, you find out pretty quickly that either you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. And that, that could be subjective, but it, the right thing in my mind um, for what I wanted to do for my goals, it was the wrong thing that I was doing. And then I pivoted. And then I, I moved away from doing custom big work for small to medium to large corporations. And now I moved into the multi-level marketing space where there's millions of people that are quote unquote their own businesses. And I could build replicable, templatable solutions to these people's problems in their businesses and sell them at scale. And to me, I love that model because I like the notion of, of getting my, my product, my solution in the market into as many people's hands and businesses as possible means A, I'm having big impact, B, I'm making more money, and C, it's driving that goal of freedom and I feel fucking great doing it. And so, and I've just continued to pivot along the way. And pivot is not, it's not when you hit like a, a hard part in the, in the journey or the step that you're on, because that's a given. And if you hit a junction where you're like, man, this is tough, I don't know if it's the right move, and you decide to pull away, that just might be because you're not ready to take on that hard part. You're not ready for those growing pains. Pivoting is, I find asking the right questions. And you have to ask the right questions to the right people. And you might think, well, who the hell are the right people? It's people in your industry. Market. Yeah. The market's the right people. Ask your, ask your customers if they're enjoying your product, if they're seeing success, what you can improve on. And if you're starting to lose people and you're starting to put forward a really shitty product and people don't like it, it's time to pivot. Mm -hmm. It's time to pivot. And based on your goals and your aspirations, it's, it's easy to identify the, th uh, it's easy to, I, to just let things go when the going's good and be like, yeah, I'm on top of the world, everything will be good. And it's a lot harder to pivot when the going's tough. And so I think it's really important to ask the right questions, to just talk to people in your industry, talk to your customers, and talk to yourself and find out whether or not you're on the right path to achieving the goals that you wanna achieve. And that, you know, there's, there's no right or wrong way, but just. Just talk to people, talk to your customers, talk to competitors, talk to people who are a step ahead of where you want to be and always check in with yourself and recalibrate and make sure that you're, you're, you're heading in the right direction that you want to be. Self-awareness plus feedback equals success. Is that the formula? That's a new shirt. That's, that sounds like a new shirt. <laughs> That's a new shirt. I'm going to trademark that as soon as we finish recording <laughs> this. So let's, you know, let's take things down a notch and uh, get a little bit more personal. Um, Whoa. And, and light, and light. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is a PG-13 podcast, but I'm curious, like, I, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm a creature of habit and I think a lot of, you know, life's successful entrepreneurs, whether they be, whether they're, you know, fashion designers, whether they're marketing gurus, whoever, whoever they, they are, they have a routine and some of those people like to wake up at 5 a.m., some of them don't, some of them like to nap, everyone's got their own thing. Mm -hmm. Do you have your own thing? What's your routine look like? Um, it's not as strict as like, you gotta be out of bed at like 6.45, you gotta be, or whatever time, gotta be in bed at a particular time. I find it more like 
themes. Like I structured different areas of my of my day. Like I, I like to I definitely get seven seven and a half hours sleep. So key. I like it. I like sleep a lot. Anyone listening, the number one thing you can do to put yourself in a position to succeed is always max out on as much sleep as possible. Don't oversleep. My number, your number seven. My no, number, at least seven and a half. Maybe seven and a half. Mine's seven and a half, eight as well. I don't function at a high level if I don't get that amount of sleep. But I think what a lot of people like miss is like, especially on social media, you see all these people are just like, I'm hustling all the time, I'm hustling all the time. I think the message is misconstrued. And I think sleep is the most important thing above all of that. Like if you're working like 18 hours a day and you're sleeping like six, I think you're gonna burn out. I think you're. I gonna can't function like that. Yeah, I just can't. And so then if you're like really tired and like I, you layer on maybe a couple cups of Joe, like I, I get like I'm I crash. Yeah. So get your sleep, people. Um, so you're you're not up. But you get your hours of sleep. Yeah. Um, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? Stretch. Yeah. I, so good. I find like I I gotta get a standing desk. I sit a lot. I'm I'm at the computer a lot, and I've noticed this like really tightening up my back and like. First thing in the morning when you stretch, like I feel great after it. Like I feel really good. I used to hit the gym in the morning, like gym being like maybe a specific class um, or hockey, um, stuff like that. I mean, hockey and people are like, what do you mean hockey in the morning? Like, relax, everyone. I, there's an early league. It's not, you know, I'm not playing hockey three hours a day trying to make the show. It's, uh, it's just movement, right? I, I, the movement is good. But the first half of my day, I read this this book uh, a while back called The One Thing by Gary Keller. Yeah, I've read it. It's and um, yeah, it's a fantastic book. But one of the parts that, I, that really um, stuck with me was structuring your day into like two elements. There's the maker en- element and then there's the manager element. And the maker element is like the first half of the day, typically from like eight till 12 or one, that's the maker part of the day. And the maker being you need to do what you need to do to push the envelope forward on the projects that you have um, on hand, on your goals, on whatever it is that you're doing. And that's like no distractions. I have my phone on do not disturb all day long. So it's like, it's up to me when I want to look at my phone and engage with it as opposed to reacting to it. Um, I can fact check this. I hate my phone. I hate I, my phone so much. It takes four days to respond to text messages. It just <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Maybe that's man. just me. Just, he's just ghosting me. Sorry, man. No, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. It took a while to get me on, on the podcast. I'm sorry. I've been, I've been traveling. Super but. traveling. Oh, yeah, you have been. You were just in Greece. Yeah. Um, you weren't in Greece taking photos of matcha lattes, but you were taking <laughs> some, some really great, awesome shots in, in Mykonos and wherever you were. Yeah, it was good vibes. You travel quite a bit. Definitely. I, I like it. A little bit of business and pleasure. I, I, like, I love to travel. Um, but coming back to like the maker and the manager, like the maker part of the day, right? You, you do what you have to do to, to push the envelope forward on your projects. And then the second half of the day is manager. I find like I start to lose a little bit of steam in the afternoon. So I don't have the creative, the energy to put forward like creativity and, and really strategically think about projects that I want to move forward. So it's the manager part of the day. So that's like, time. yeah, that's like, you know, if you have to do follow-ups, that's if you, uh, you're you getting the, the next day ready, prepped, ready to rock and roll. I like going to the gym or doing some sort of activity in the later half of the day because it kind of like gives me a second wind. But that's the manager part of the day. So I typically aren't, are not doing things that will push, push the envelope forward for big projects. So maker, manager, and then in the evening, I really like to read. 
Reading is really good. Fiction um, or like self-help? Or both. Yeah. Sometimes like if I do like too many like business or strategy or just books about business, I, I get crazy. Like I, I'll read the same page a hundred times and be like, I, I can't do another one of these. I need like my mind to just relax and enjoy the book and get ca- caught up in something. So I'll mix in fiction with um, with business with with work-related things and I love the combination of both yeah so I've been listening to uh, I've been listening to I've been reading fiction like before bed Mm -hmm. Um, I find it's a good way to like shut my mind off not think about business but for business books I'm like hooked on audible I just like crush through books one a week yeah when I'm driving I'm crushing podcasts in the car podcasts audiobooks like I love it would would the one thing be your like book reco for for someone in terms of getting into a good routine, structuring your day, like, would that be your one book, Reco? Yeah, there's there's so many good, like, nuggets of information in there about not just, like, strategizing your day and, and getting clear on what you need to do to push your projects forward. It, it just, it breaks it down in a really interesting and, and engaging way. I can't focus on dry material that gets too technical, and for some reason, this feels like it's technical, but it, it's put forward in a way that you read it and you're like, wow, this makes a lot of sense. And it's stuff that I already knew. And it's just, it's given to you in, um, in a way. I love, I love story. I love when there's facts, facts, information that's, that's backed up with a story. And it just, it helps me learn. I, and I, I think I really like that book for that reason. Yeah, it makes it more engaging and creative and kind of like get, you know, I find that it like gets you in a place where you can put yourself in that, in, in the, in the narrator's shoes or like the, or like that, that context. And Kind of visualize yourself doing it. And yeah, I, I find that super helpful. I'm reading this book right now called "The Forty Eight Laws of Power" by Robert Greene. Sounds powerful. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's interesting. It like it, it he's taking these forty eight laws that he's compiled and created based on reading all, uh, all of this information about like powerful people, powerful leaders, and he, every single chapter is based on one particular law. Well, the premise of the book is like power and it's like you can learn it and understand it to either use it to like fight against it, but to like have a good understanding about it. And every chapter is structured like the law, whatever the law is, um, someone who went against the law, someone who used the law in um, in like a perfect form and, so, and, and a way to kind of uh, interpret it and use it in your own scenario. But every single one of those uh, sections within that chapter is a story. It's a story about a leader. It's a story about a character. It's a story about Henry Kissinger, about P.T. Barnum, about Rockefeller. And it's amazing. It's like you're learning about history, but applying it in these principles of using, of how these people centuries ago used it, Galileo, Machiavelli, and then applying it in 2019. It's so cool. That's really cool. I have an Audible credit, and I'm probably going to actually purchase that. Yeah, it's awesome. So we're going to wrap this up, but on the topic of, of traveling, we briefly touched there. You travel a bit. I run a travel company, but, you know, luggage and accessories. What's your, like, do you have a travel hack? Like, is there something that you've learned through your travels? Like, do you, you know, some people go for runs when, like, they land in a spot, like, to beat the jet lag. Some people, you know, have a, a, a workout routine that they always do when they travel. Like, is there one, like, do you, are you a carry-on traveler? Like, is there a packing hack? Do you have, like, one hack? <laughs> you can window sh- seats. <laughs> window seats. That's I. I Why, need the you window seat. Yeah. yeah, I need. I need the lean. I need the lean. Uh, I take like if you know they're longer than like five six hour flights. Usually transatlantic transatlantic ones. They give you the pillow and the blanket. I like scrunch up the blanket to create a nice like pillow for my head because the pillows are crap. 
and like I I need to get some rest and the window seats I love it I love leaning up against it I love looking out at it it's like my own little like space I agree with you I like it's just like I need it I, need I think the in my seat. lifetime of travel you know to give people some context like I've been traveling with my family to Portugal since I was a kid since like I was one years old so I've been on a my fair share of flights. I would say 97% of those flights, I've sat in the window. I cannot not sit in the window. Yeah. It makes me uncomfortable. No, I, I can't. You sit in the aisle, you get drilled by the cart. You sit in the middle, you got to pee. <laughs> it's just lose, no, lose. Middle's the worst. Yeah, middle's, middle's the worst. worst. It's interesting because I just came back from Eastern Europe last week and uh, it, was a, it was strictly a karma play. I had the window seat. I was like, I was feeling good about it. You know, I was going to... I even had some space. It was like near the back of the plane. It went from three rows to two rows. So I'm like, I'm feeling good about this. And then all of a sudden, this girl came back. She was going to sit next to me. And she's like, excuse me, do you mind switching so me and my boyfriend can sit, husband, boyfriend could sit together? Right away, I was like, what seat does he have? She's like, the aisle seat. And I'm like, man, karma, like someone switched seats so me and my wife could sit together when we went to Europe. I'm like, I got to do it for karma points. But like when I sat in the aisle seat, it wasn't bad, but I was missing something. I knew right away. I was looking over. I was like, I want the window seat. Absolutely, I hear that. All right, before we before we sign off here, um, is there is there anything, any last parting words or requests from my audience? Where can they find you if they want to learn more about um, chat messaging? I think I got it by now after you know forty minutes of this. Almost chat marketing. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, and- uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Andrew Billack. Um, and uh, Billack B I L A K. Yeah, there you go. And uh, yeah, you can just find me on Instagram. I, you know, I love connecting with new people. It's, it's actually how a lot of my, uh, the opportunities that have presented themselves in my life have come from complete chance. But the chance is actually not chance. It's, it's being vulnerable or connecting with people or just putting yourself in situations that you typically wouldn't. And that I find that that stage of growth that you're going through rewards you with interesting people or opportunities. So um, anyone who's listening, hit me up, send me a DM, and i uh, just love to chat. Slide in his DMs, people. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for being on the pod, dude. I, uh, I enjoy chatting with you, and I think there's a lot of value that you're, um, you've brought to the table for you know, our audience, and I look forward to watching your journey unfold and having you back on and, you know, in the not-so-distant future to hear you know, how, how it's developed. Yeah, man. Thanks. This was awesome. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to The Andrew Quello Show. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Mr. Andrew Quello, and make sure to visit my website at andrewquello.ca to subscribe to my email newsletter. I hold a weekly giveaway, and the only way to find out about it is if you're in my community of fashionpreneurs.